0: Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. We're going to be spending the coming weeks unpacking some parables that Jesus told. The parables of Jesus were often very simple stories that he told to teach spiritual truth. You know that parables are like icebergs, right? They seem like little small stories until you look under the surface. That's when you find that they have enormous spiritual lessons, huge implications for those who first heard the stories, but that's true for us today as well. Now, when you think about why Jesus told parables, it just makes sense. He told stories because a good story draws us in, grabs our heart, and makes us feel like we're living it out. Jesus wanted to engage our minds for sure, but also our hearts. And when we put ourselves into these stories in the context of them, we can't help but be challenged to reflect on our own life and be changed by spiritual truths that Jesus is calling us to live out. And that's gonna be true for sure today, but over the coming weeks. So today we're gonna jump into probably one of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever told, and one that I'm willing the that most of us probably know but struggle to really live out. So I'm gonna tell you, and you're gonna say, I-, I knew that. So like most of the parables that Jesus told, this one started with a question. Jesus was asked this question. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he, said, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Honestly, it seems like a valid question, doesn't it? Who wouldn't want to know that answer? In all likelihood, this expert in the law wasn't really trying to get the answer to the question though. He was actually trying to show off his own knowledge, his self-righteousness. He's trying to trap Jesus actually to go against the law of Moses. Now keep in mind that this guy was not the kind of lawyer that you need if you get sued by your crazy neighbor. <laughs> it's not that kind of a lawyer. Now he was an expert, he was an authority in the law of Moses. So asking this question of Jesus, was a great way to try to catch Jesus going against the law and saying something that everybody in the crowd would think was heretical since he had such a penchant to hang out, accept sinners and prostitutes. And thus, this attorney thought, I'm going to debunk Jesus' ministry since he was becoming such a thorn in the side of all the religious leaders of that day. This, in other words, was purely a spectacle to trap Jesus and make this lawyer look good. So... How did Jesus answer? Well, he didn't, at least not initially. Instead, he responded to the question with a question. I think it was a brilliant move. Now, we do it all the time with our kids when they try to trap us. You know, one of your kids comes to you and says, hey, can I have some ice cream from my favorite, good-looking, amazingly smart dad? And you know he's up to something. So you pull out your best Jesus strategy and you ask a simple question back. What did your mother say? We're not dumb, we've played this game a long time. You're not gonna trap me, at least that's what we're thinking. So Jesus knew that the best way to help him come to a better understanding of the kingdom of God, in other words, how to get in and live it, would be the very thing the religious expert was trying to do to him. He needed to trap him in his own words. So, instead of answering the question, Jesus said, hey, you're an expert in the law, This is your specialty? Why don't you tell me? Tell us. Tell the crowd. Okay, that's my paraphrase, but here's the actual words of Jesus recorded by Luke, chapter 10, verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? When Jesus put the question back to the expert, he didn't hesitate to answer, which comes as no surprise. If there's one thing experts love to do is to hear themselves talk, trust me. I'm an expert on this. Anyway, here's the answer that the expert gave, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He answered, love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So how'd he do? Dude, he nailed it. He gave the perfect answer. And it set Jesus up perfectly to open the lawyer's eyes to see the weakness of his religious system. Listen to what Jesus said next, verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. It sounds like Jesus agrees with him, doesn't it? And to a certain degree, he does. Loving God with our entire being And our neighbor, with all the force and intensity that we can love ourselves, is the very best and right way to live. So yes, God did this. But is Jesus agreeing that this is required to enter the kingdom of God, that we have to do love perfectly? No. Jesus says, go and do this to force the man to come to terms with the fact that he was protecting and promoting a religious system that he couldn't live up to. Listen nobody loves God perfectly every minute of every day, let alone his or her neighbor. If this is what's required to gain eternal life, this guy was out of luck. And so are the rest of us. Just praise God that eternal life's not a prize to be earned. It's an inheritance to be received. An inheritance secured for us by Christ in his death and resurrection. We don't have to love in order to be saved. We love because Christ has saved us. Big difference. We don't love to get into the kingdom of God. We love because it is the kingdom of God, way of life. So when Jesus said, go and do likewise, I have to have to imagine that this guy's cheeks got red. How could they not? Those words forced him to see the gap between what he knew in his head and the way he was living in real life. How can our cheeks not be red as well? Because every person watching here probably has a gap, some bigger than others, but the gap in every one of us is much bigger than it should be, I think. It's so easy to be lulled into thinking that we are really faithful people because we know Scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. Knowing Scripture is absolutely important and good. You know that I I believe that and you believe it. But knowledge is not evidence of faith. Action is. As disciples of Jesus, our head and our heart or our understanding and living just have to come closer together. And even though all of us, or I I hope all of us, recognize that there's this gap, it can be a really difficult thing to admit, right? Right? I mean, sure, we might admit it to ourselves, but when others point it out to us, it's very, it's a very different story often. I don't know about you, but I get, I get defensive. Instead of just saying, you know, I, I think you're right. I need to work on that. I usually try to prove to the person why he or she is wrong. You know what? Sometimes the person is wrong, but not nearly as often as I want to believe. The point is, self-justification is almost always my instinctive reaction. It's probably yours as well, I don't know. But what is true of me was true of the lawyer. Listen to what Luke writes as he continues the story. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This guy still wanted to prove that he was doing or could do the law, whatever the law demanded. But to do that, he first needed a definition of neighbor. And that's when Jesus told this parable. He told a simple story to show the lawyer and to show us what it means to love your neighbor and how often we fall so short. Start with verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, And saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to the man, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Jesus didn't give a name to the road that the guy was on, even if it had one, but everyone listening to Jesus knew. The road was a 17-mile, mostly downhill stretch through desolate, rugged terrain. More importantly, it was one of those roads that you didn't want to travel alone. It was notorious for murder, muggings, and jackings, Carjackings, you get it? It's not a safe place at all. So when Jesus shared that this man was attacked, stripped of his clothes, beat, and left half dead, there was absolutely no surprises there. This story, however, does have a surprise ending, and it's not a little surprise. To the people who first heard this parable, this surprise is on par with how one of my friends was impacted by the end of the sixth sense. Spoiler alert. He was dead the whole time. Now, for those who didn't see that movie, then maybe this will help you understand. This surprise was like in Star Wars when we all found out that Darth Vader was Luke's father. I am your father. And if you didn't see that, I just don't know what to tell you, except this was a huge surprise. It was a huge shock at the end of this parable. The surprise is this. The surprise is who shows up and who turns a blind eye and who actually jumps in and helps. We have a cast of three characters that pass by on the road. First, there's the priest who comes down the road. Surely he's gonna help. And what happens? He passes by on the other side of the road. This is the guy who's the representative of Israel to go before God and make sacrifices for the people. This is a religious leader that has given his life to follow God and follow his word. This isn't, it's not unlike a preacher. Or pastor a church leader today but he just passes by then there's the levite shows us shows up on the road a levite was just one step below a priest he worked in the temple he did the church work he assisted in the the, the worship of god and also knew what the right thing was to do and what did he do he did the same thing he walked by and he left that guy laying for dead the church folks aren't really looking really good in the story, are they, that Jesus is telling. Now, two people who should have known better, who you would expect to stop and help, leave this man laying half dead on the side of the road. They just, they just pass on by. Why? Why wouldn't they help? Maybe they were afraid that they would also be mugged and robbed. They could have, they could have thought, well, maybe this is a trap that's set up to capture me. Uh, or maybe they just didn't have the time. They were in a hurry, had to get to church. They could have been traveling to Jerusalem to do some work at the temple, good work, godly work, helping this guy would just make them late and disrupt their schedule. Or maybe it was the fact that if they touched a corpse, if the guy was dead or died, it would make them ceremonially unclean according to the law. They didn't have time to worry about cleansing themselves according to whatever the law required. So passing by and ignoring this guy in those instances just made their life easier. Now, we don't know exactly what their motives were, but what we do know, they somehow justified in their minds that not stopping and helping was the appropriate thing to do. They didn't believe it was necessary or expected, and we can't blame them. Don't we do the same thing sometimes? How often when we are given the opportunity to to show compassion to someone, we can choose to look the other way and then justify ourselves? We justify ourselves that we made the right decision. Not only do we do that, but we're really good at it. So Jesus sets this story up perfectly for the big surprise. The priest or the pastor passes by. Then the Levite, the church volunteer, passes by. Now at this point, I think the audience is fully expecting that the next person to come down the road is going to be a Jewish layperson. It's going to be a church member. But it's not. Who is it? it's a Samaritan. Wow. You talk about jaw-dropping twists. That's it. But it wasn't just a surprise, it was a punch in the gut. I'm going to tell you the racial and religious tension that exists between various groups in this country is, is minor compared to the animosity and hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Not only did the Jews want nothing to do with Samaritans, they prayed for God not to save them. Now, you have to have some deep kind of hatred to pray for God to withhold his grace from a person, right? The ending to this story was the worst one imaginable for the lawyer. For the lawyer, anyone would have made a better hero figure than a Samaritan, but it was that Samaritan and not the priest or the Levite who came up heroic in Jesus' story. Now it was time for Jesus to ask that second question in verse 36. That's when he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Of the robbers. The lawyer couldn't quite force himself to say Samaritan but he did manage to recognize it was he by saying it's the one who had mercy on him. To which Jesus replied, go and do likewise. Now for the second time Jesus flipped the script on the lawyer. The lawyer wanted Jesus to define neighbor. Jesus forced the man to consider if he was a neighbor. The story forces us to do the same. Is this the way we live our life? When faced with a choice to show compassion and help, do we honor that choice or do we betray the choice? Don't you want to ask this guy to please repeat what he knows to be true? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's radical, but instead of living at the radical center of God's will, instead of being honest about how he was living, he'd just rather justify himself. You know, sometimes we want to say, you know, the, the reason I'm this way or that way is that I'm angry or that they, somebody else did it first. Listen, living honestly takes courage. It's a lot easier to look the other way when we see the needs in the lives, in our own lives or in the lives of people around us. We can give the excuse that we've tried hard as we can or that we don't have the time to help a person in need, but excuses don't cut it. We need to let the truth sink into our hearts so that we can respond with genuine love. You know, every day we're faced with choices in loving our neighbors and showing compassion to others. Sometimes they're big, they're obvious, and sometimes it's just in little small ways. On the way to work, you have a choice to let the car merge in front of you. That's a big one for me. Or to speed up and let it uh, get in behind you. In the office, you have the choice to walk by that coworker's office that just talks too much about problems that they're dealing with in their life. Every time you see them, they drive you nuts. Or they just take you know, you, you just say, I think I'm gonna take the long way around. At the store, you have a choice to jump in and help that mom that came up a few dollars short after ringing up her groceries or just wait for the cashier to put some things back. At home, you have the choice whether you're going to listen to your wife or husband about their day or just going to turn on the TV and and lose yourself in that. You know, every day we are faced with choices to love our neighbor and show compassion. And when faced with those choices, the question is, do we honor it or betray it? Honoring choices takes time. It takes sacrifices. It causes disruption to our day. It causes vulnerability and it costs us something. It's much easier to betray it and do the opposite of what we know that we should do. And when we betray the choices we know that we should make, it causes us to then self-justify until we're convinced that choosing to withhold compassion and not loving our neighbor was the right thing. Now, like the priest and Levite, we come up with some great excuses to justify ourselves, don't we? We don't have the time to help. We have other good things that we're already doing. It's not wise to put ourselves in harm's way. Someone else who's better suited will probably do it. We justify ourselves to the point we're becoming numb to the fact that we're betraying what we know is the right thing to do. Now, let's not be like the priest and Levite, let's be like the Samaritan. When faced with the choice to love and show compassion, let's honor that choice. Sure, look, it took time and disrupted his schedule. Sure, it caused him to put himself in a vulnerable position. Sure, it cost him financially and even probably, I would imagine, socially, by even being around a Jew. But that's what it truly means to love your neighbor. That's truly the way of following Jesus because that's what Jesus did for us. So how are you doing in loving your neighbor? Maybe you feel good about it. Maybe you feel a little guilty in how you've been doing. No matter where you are, here's the beauty of the gospel. It's this. You've been given grace in the places you failed in the past, and you've been given grace and an example to follow in Jesus Christ. So start small this week. And when you're faced with a choice to do the right thing and an opportunity to show compassion to someone shows up, Honor the choice because that's what it means to live at the radical center of God's will. Don't make excuses. Don't justify why you don't have to help. The point isn't just to do good to others. Remember that for the sake of Christ. The point is deeper and it's longer lasting. The point is to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Just honor that choice and see what God does and how he begins to work in you and through you. And remember this, faith will tell you what to do. Love will tell you how. And I think that is what's below the surface of the parable that Jesus told us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the powerful story of the Good Samaritan. Father, forgive us when we have worked harder to justify ourselves than to put into practice the simple truth that We need to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we need to do what we can to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, I pray for all of your people, for all those listening. I pray, Father, you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to love our neighbor one person at a time. May you be glorified in it all. It's in the name of Jesus we pray together and say, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.